John chapter 8, Jesus just had left off talking about one of the I am's. He says, I am the light of the world. And he talks about that light. And I think the Lord, he says, I am the light of the world, that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. You don't have to be in darkness if you got the light. Not only that, but he says, you will have the light of life. I think this is really a truism that uh, where Jesus is, there should be life. I haven't done the, the, the study, but I would venture to say that wherever you see Christ, and wherever he is, for the most part, there is life. And if the Lord has worked in your life, I was talking with a brother and I said, when I talk with people, you get a good sense of where we are when they say one of two things. And this may be, this may be the reason why we have a lot of problems in our churches. <coughs> Excuse me. Most people reference their, their salvation experience on two points. I was baptized, and I joined the church. That's really incorrect. For number one, baptism doesn't save you, and joining the church doesn't save you. The correct thing is say, when I accepted the Lord and I was saved, as a result of that, you will be baptized, and as a result of that, you will belong to a church, or you should belong to a church. But if your reference point is to your salvation experience, because if I say, if I asked you, how do you know you are saved, you can't reference the fact that I was baptized, and you can't really reference the fact that I belong to the church. And maybe the reason why we have a lot of problems in our churches today is because we have a lot of people who are, quote, baptized, and a lot of people who, quote, join the church, but have never really been saved in the sense of accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior, to which that makes a big point. Somebody can argue with me to say, well, Pastor, when people say that, that's what they mean. Well, that's not a true indication because true salvation is what Jesus is talking about right here when he says, I am the light of the world. No, no ifs, no ands, no buts, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. He doesn't say you might be in darkness sometimes or be sometimes in light. No, he said, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You will possess him. And wherever Jesus is, there is life. Does that mean everything's always going to be right? No. But in spite of, we serve a great God. And where he is, we ought to exhibit that life and show to a dying world that there is a truism and there is a reality of having Christ in my life that helps me overcome all this other stuff. Amen? So my encouragement to Brother Morton would be and to others who are in that situation, when you're having things go on in your life, Rejoice and be glad therein. Say, so you know what? In spite of, God's been good. And as bad as you think it is now, it could be a whole lot worse. But you don't know what God's doing with you. Ask, somebody can say, ask Job about things happening in your life. Go read the account of Job. And then when you look at Job and what he went through and compare what you think you're going through, you'll be able to say, well, okay, I really don't have really much to say because I haven't lost everything I ever had, and I haven't done this and that, but Job was able to say that his faith was in God. Amen? And follow up to what Jesus said. Now, you got to understand this. He is at the time of the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. We had the, the one reason why he said 
I am the, water, the living water. It's because part of that festival was the water that was there. They would use that big pole things. The water would be there. Then the other part is they had these, these candelabra-like objects that were lit up, and they were brightly shining. And Jesus was a master at using things that people had in everyday life to show them an object lesson of who he was. He would say, well, you know what? This is amazing. Look at these things that are burning so brightly. You lit these, these candelabras up, and they're, they're, they're going to show that the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, will go back to what God did for the nation of Israel when they were going through the wilderness, that, that God by day led them by a pillar by fire, and by a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. It was all tied into with the deliverance of God, and they were there. And he said, you know what? Let me, show, let me tell you something about who I am, because the whole book of John says, I am God. He says, Speaking of light, I'm, I'm glad you have light. Guess what? I am. I am the light of the world. And then he goes on to talk about. Now, as he's doing this, in John chapter 8, verses 13 through 20, you always will have a certain crowd that doesn't want to believe. And Jesus had that crowd with him. He says, whoever follows me, we're not walking in darkness but we'll have the light of life. You hear that first word in verse 13. So the Pharisees said to, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, so even if I do bear witness about myself, oh, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Just so you know, Pharisees, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Let me ask you a question. You're, going to put, you're trying to put this on me about witnessing and testimony. Uh, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, huh, where's your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know also, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus says, I am the light. And when he says that, the Pharisees, who are always there to try to catch Jesus in something that he has said, they have a rebuttal. And the rebuttal is simply this. If you, you're bearing witness about yourself, you're talking about you, you can't do that. You can't do that. There, there are established rules. There are established laws. You have to follow the protocols. You have to follow the proceedings. You have to follow what we have written in our law. You just can't come out and say that what you're saying, that I am the light of the world. You can't bear witness about that about yourself. Now, I think this is ironic. These people are talking to Jesus and questioning Jesus as to, he, as to who he is. That would be akin of me 
going to the hospital telling a surgeon who's getting ready to do surgery, you can't do that because you really don't know what you're doing. My question, his question to me would be, well, who are you to tell me that I, I have studied, I've done this, I've got, I went to medical school, I went to undergraduate, I went to medical school, I did my, my internship, my practice, and I got my license, and I am a full-fledged medical doctor. And who are you? This is what they're doing to Jesus. They don't realize, because they're blinded by their own ignorance, they don't realize they're talking to God himself, and they're questioning God on following the protocols and following the law. He wrote the law. They're telling him, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. You can't bear witness about yourself. And if you're, 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 what you're saying is not true. Basically, they're calling God a liar. Can you imagine calling God a liar? Questioning his, Jesus' testimony? I love what Jesus does. Jesus, Jesus, who's the master diffuser, his his remarks, his 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 rebuke back to the Pharisees is, just so you know, even if I witness about myself, I want you to know something, Pharisees. What I say about myself is true. Why is it? Because he's God. There is no lying in God. Everything God says is what? Truth. He says. And just so you understand, the reasons why my testimony is true is because I know where I come from. You got to know where you, where you come from. You got to know who your father is in a spiritual sense. Because if you're wavering on your relationship to Christ, whether you're saved today and lost tomorrow or saved now and this afternoon, you aren't saved, you don't know who you are. But in Christ, we have the assurance of our salvation. Jesus knew who he was. He says, I know where I come from. And not only that, I know where I'm going. I know who I am in Christ, and I know where I'm going in Christ. Who I am in Christ is I am a son of God. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I've been bought by his blood. I've been baptized in his name. And because of who he is and what he has done for me, means that my salvation is settled. Am I perfect? Far from it. But I don't waver on where I'm going. If I were to drop dead in the next three seconds, I know where I will be. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My body would be laying in this pulpit, but my spirit would be with God. That I know. Amen. So I don't go to bed at night thinking, what's going to happen if, if, if something happens to me and, and I, I think I'm going to heaven. No, I don't think I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. Not because of me, but because of the finished work of Christ. He did it all. When he was on the cross, he did all that he had to do for salvation. And on my profession of faith and my belief in what he has done, that's what saves me. I said a few moments ago, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain. Sin left a stain. Have you ever had a stain on any of your clothes? If I was to have a bottle of red wine and just pour it on this nice, clean, white shirt, it will leave a stain. And depending on how good we are, I know we got OxyClean and all this other stuff, but you got to use some good stuff to get all that stuff out, that stain out. Jesus' blood washed the stain of sin out of all of our life. We were stained. We were ruined. And Jesus said, okay, Father, I will go down and I will redeem man. So Jesus says, okay, okay, Pharisees, you want to play this game? I know. 
where I come from. And I also know where I'm going. The Pharisees didn't have a clue as to where Jesus had come from or where he is going. Jesus also tells them something else. The reason why you're so messed up, Pharisees, is that you judge according to the flesh. You look on the outward circumstances. You look on, on what's on the outside. That's how you base, that's what you're basing your judgment on me. You're looking at me from the outside. But you don't know who I am. And we do that with people today. Not knowing everything about somebody, we make judgments on people that we have no right to make. It's not that we don't judge. Because we do. But that our judgment cannot be complete in the sense that we know and can, and can condemn somebody and send them to hell based on what we think they do or don't do. That's not us. That's not ours to do. He says, you judge according to the flesh. You look, okay, Pharisees, you're looking at by human standards, what you see, and with your limited and corrupt knowledge. Just so you, you know, basically what he's telling me is, what you don't know is this. You don't know what you think you know. Honestly, you don't know anything. Whenever people like to talk about how much they love Jesus, whenever people like to talk about how much they know about their Bible, whenever people do all that stuff, watch their life. Because if their life doesn't match up to what they're saying, you got to say, hmm. Because if Christ is in us and the Word of God is in us and we talk about how we're walking with him each and every day, and we love the Lord, and he hastens and hears my cry, and all those things we like to say, then when things happen in our life, we will not be so quick to push the button of rejection and the button of panic because we are rooted and grounded in him. You can tell where a man, woman, boy, and girl are in their relationship to Christ as when crisis happens, how do they handle it? The true man of God, the true woman of God, when things are going against them, are able to stand flat-footed, four-squared, and say, all right, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I trust you. If you ever go on YouTube or go to Focus on the Family, you need to plug in the sermon of Dr. E.V. Hill when he preached his wife's funeral. Talk about a powerful message. My God. But one at the end of it, towards the end of his message, he's wrapping it up. He says when his wife was dying with cancer and she had, had lung cancer and the Lord had cured her of her lung cancer and now she had stomach cancer. And he said, I went into the chapel at the church where the doctor said, we've done all we can do and there's nothing else we can do. He says, I went into the chapel and I was praying to God. I said, God, I'm coming to you to ask you to do something for me. He says, I've talked to presidents. I know how to come to them. I've talked to athletes. I know how to talk to them. I've talked to governors. I've talked to people in a lot of high positions. But, Lord, I'm coming to you, and I really don't know how to come to you, but I'm just going to come to you straight, straight at it. I want you to spare my wife. I want you to heal her. You did it before, and I want you to do it again. And I'm going to claim the name of Jesus. In his name, I pray that you will heal my wife, that she won't die of this cancer that she has. Doctors have given up hope, but I know in you all things are possible. He says as he was sitting in that chapel and he was talking and praying to God, the Spirit of God spoke to him and said two words. Trust me. 
He said, God said through his spirit, trust me. He said, and I thought when he said, trust me, I took it to mean that he was going to heal my wife. But that's not what he meant. He meant, trust me. And then he goes on in the message, and, and, and I can't do justice to what he does, but if you hear that, if goosebumps don't run up and down your back and across your arms, and you just, get, you just feel like standing up and going, yes! I would say you're dead. Because one of the things he, he, he says when he's, in, when he's wrapping up, he says, he said, trust me. And he said, and I went through the Bible, amen, with the what? The word of God. And he talks about the things the Bible talks about, about the dead in Christ, that who one day will rise again. He talks about in the book of Revelation where it talks about there's coming a day when we will be gathered around the throne of God and celebrating with him and all that. He talked about all the things that the Bible says about death and, and the victory we have and all that. And he says, and he came to the point where he said, when he said, trust me, trust me, trust me. That's all he kept saying, trust me. And he said, one of these days when he gets to be with Christ, when he himself will die, he, and he called his wife baby, he and baby will be together. And he talked about, oh, when I saw her body lying there in, in, at, the, at, the, at the funeral home. And he said, but he, Jesus said, trust me that one day she is going to be so beautiful, so gorgeous. Why? Because she will be wrapped in the robes of righteousness in Christ. You think you saw her when she looked good? You haven't seen anything, yes. And he talked about, trust me, they get into, blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I went, oh, Lord Jesus. And then it goes off. I'm like, wow. Trust him. And this is what Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to see. Here's what he wants us to know. We, they didn't have a clue who he was. They were based on human standards. Jesus wants us, not limited by our corrupt knowledge, not limited by what we think. God's not concerned about what we think. God wants to teach us who he is from his word. Be very careful when you start expressing, when we express ourselves as this is what I think. We don't want to know what you think. We want to know what the Word of God says. And here he is saying, you don't get it. I know where I'm going. I know where I come from. And you're making a judgment based on the wrong things. My judgment is true. And guess, just, so you don't, just so you know, my judgment is true for it is not mine alone but also the Father who is with me. Jesus' judgment is not just his, but it's also his and the Father's. Now, do you not understand that if God is made, if God is the judge and the Son is the judge and God and the Son are the same God, do you think their judgment would be true? Yes, to answer the question. Why? Because God knows all and sees all. He knows the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. He knows he's able to make a right judgment. When we stand before God, at the judgment seat of Christ, whatever rewards we get or don't get will be based right and just because that's the type of God we serve. If he says you messed up and you didn't, you're not going to say, go, well, well, Lord, wait a minute. You need to understand why I did. You can't, you're not going to do that. He's going to be able to pin us where we are at and we won't be able to argue with him because what he's saying will be true. You don't get that reward, Pastor. Why? Because you didn't do what I told you to do. Did you? 
no. So you don't get the reward. Are you, does that make sense? Yes, sir. Makes sense. Here's the thing that Jesus says. He says, I do not judge. Part of this verse, he says, I do not, I judge no one. Now, is that true that Jesus doesn't judge anyone? No. Because the rest of the Bible, in other parts of the Bible, it talks about the fact that Jesus does judge. What he's saying here is, I judge no one in the sense that right now my ministry, while I'm in, the, in your presence, isn't about so much judgment as it is about reconciliation. I have come to save sinners. I have come to bring God and man back together. But there will be a time when I will have and will exhibit judgment. John chapter 4, verse 42, brings that out. Amen? John 42 talks about Jesus being a judge. So don't get that messed up. When he says, I judge no one, at this time in his, in his ministry, no. He's not going to be judging. But understand this, that there will come a time that he will be making judgment because he and the Father won. Chapter 5, verse 22 through 24 also speak of that. Jesus is talking, and he says this in chapter 5 and verse uh, 22 through 24. He says this. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who, who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The Father gives a judgment to the Son, ultimately. But I like what Jesus says. Listen, truly, this is a true thing. This is what makes sense in a believer's life. Whoever hears his what? Word and believes him who sent me. you got to hear the word and believe that the Father sent him has what? Eternal life. If you believe in the word and you believe in him who sent Jesus who is the Son, he says you have eternal life. You don't believe it, you don't have it. He does not come into judgment. That person doesn't come into judgment but has passed from death to life. When you're a believer, you pass from the death, the penalty of sin, but you pass to the life that's in Christ. Because of sin and because of what it is and how God abhors it, God condemns all who are sinners. But, oh, the mercy and the grace and the love of God is that if you believe in the Father who sent the Son and you believe in the Word that talks about the Son, then guess what? You have eternal life. And not only that, you have passed from judgment, which would come on you for not believing, but you passed from judgment, and now you have life. Amen. That's good. That's the good news of the gospel. We're talking to our friends and neighbors. They need to understand that they're on their way to hell. They need to understand that they face the judgment of God. But the good news is you don't have to stay there. You have been delivered. You can't be delivered from the power and the presence and the penalty of sin because of one man, Jesus Christ. Andre Cross said, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's none other. Jesus is the way. And I'm a firm believer. 
The reason why a lot of people are having a lot of problems and mentally and socially and psychologically and all kind of, is because they don't know what, they, they don't understand something. Without Jesus in your life, you're lost. That millionaire that thinks his money is going to help him be successful and he get whatever he wants anytime he wants, he is still lost if he does not know Jesus. Amen? Without Jesus, you're lost. You're in darkness. The whole point of his coming is to be the light of the world. What does that mean that he's the light of the world? That if you have him, he will show you how to live out your life. Amen? So here are the Pharisees. They're, 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 they're into this. They're, they're trying to question him. They're trying to get him to, to mess up. And Jesus says, oh, okay. So you don't want to go with the two witnesses that I do have. In your law, in Leviticus, you talk about, I believe Leviticus 15 talks about that to condemn somebody, you had to have it established by two witnesses. If you had two witnesses, then what you said was true. No two witnesses. You couldn't do it. Just one person could not condemn somebody. It took two, an agreement, saying the same thing. That's basically true in the court of law today. One person can't bring you to a, court, to a lawsuit and say, you are condemned. No, you've got to have some other witnesses. He said, by the way, your law says that it takes two witnesses. I've got my two witnesses. Who are they? They're the Father and they're me. Those are my two witnesses. But then I also wrote down in my notes, there's also some other people that down the road, could witness that what Jesus said about him is true. Guess who they are? Just ask John the Baptist. He was a witness. He was coming for Jesus. Telling the world what? That there's coming somebody that will save us from our sins. Messiah is coming. I'm not he, but I, there is one whose shoelaces I'm unworthy to untie. John the Baptist was a witness. The 12 apostles, the 12 disciples are witnesses to what Jesus. What group of men will leave 12, what 12 people do you know will leave everything that they had, drop their nets, drop their lives, do what they're doing to follow a person that had nothing in the world to get to other than the message of the gospel? If Jesus came to us today and says, and he has done that virtually to us, if he came to us and say, follow me, he wants you to drop all that you have all that you think, all that you want, all that you want to be, he says, leave it all and do what? Follow me. Question is, how many of us are willing to drop it all, leave it all, leave it out on the table to follow him? Because most of us say, oh, no, <laughs> no, I can't. Lord, I'd like to follow you, but I can't do that. We have strings attached. You might cause us to go somewhere. You might want me to go somewhere I don't want to go. You're going to be like Jonah. You might have places you want me to say something to, and I don't like them people. I don't want to give them the I want, to, I want you to crush them. I want you to destroy them. I don't ask me to go over there and talk to them folks. Amen? They followed him. The 12 followed Jesus. The Samaritan woman could talk about the witness of who Jesus is and what he did in her life. Martha. Martha, Martha, Martha. She could tell about Jesus. So if you're going to call some witnesses, and last but not least, those who witnessed the raising of Lazarus, they can speak to the power of Christ. And ultimately, you and I ought to be able to speak about the power of Christ for what he has done in our life. You and I ought to be witnesses to a world of what Christ can do in our life and through our life because of 
what he's done for us. And the fact that we're not a better witness is an indictment on us because we just don't give it. We're like the Pharisees in our ignorance, in our what we think we know. I'm not impressed by what you know. I want to know what the Bible says, what the Word of God says, and how we're going to live that out. Amen? Scripture talks about the witness of Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creation. Old, a passed away, behold, all things become new. Don't talk to me about that we're sinners and we, we do a lot of things. I get that. But in Christ, we're to be made new. Change your mind. Change your heart. The old timers had it right. He gave me a new way of walking and a new way of talking. Changed my feet so I could walk right. Changed my tongue so I could talk right. Changed my mind so I could what? Think right. If those things are happening in our life, then you've got to question where we are with our Lord. Because if he's working and working grace, and if you are coming to Bible study, and you're coming on Wednesday night, and you're hearing the word of God, and you're listening to the word of God, and you're studying the word of God, you're in small groups, you're all, and the Bible isn't making a dent in your life, that's a problem. That's a birth problem. You can't have, and I can't have all this word, and it not change us as individuals. For the word of God is quick and powerful, like a sword, it cuts going in, and it cuts coming out. He says, okay, you don't want to believe me? All right. Then they say in verse 19, they said to him, where's your father? Now, they're being a little smart, Alec, here. They're being smart. They're being sarcastic. You say, how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Go with me to chapter 8, verse 41. We'll pick, up later, pick that up later when we get over there, but I just want you to see where they are. John 8. In verse 41, says, see if I find it myself. You are doing the works your father did. Okay? They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. We weren't born from sexual immorality, Jesus. You know what they're referring to, don't you? His birth. Mary. Joseph, they're being smart, Alec. Oh, you want to talk about you and God, the Father in heaven is the same one? Oh, well, wait a minute. These are the Pharisees now. They said, wait a minute. We know a little something about you. Uh, we were born in sexual immorality. You know, if I understand things right, Jesus, wasn't your mother pregnant before her and Joseph got married? Hmm. See how... See how bad man is to try to accuse he who is the son of God? See how ignorant they are of the things of God? These are you got to be careful. These are religious people who say they know the Bible, who say they know the law. Talking to he who is the law, he who is God in the flesh. Oh, Jesus, okay. Where's your, where is your father? Jesus answered, oh, okay, you know neither me nor my father. For if you knew me, you would also, you, you would also know the father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So you can't have one without the other. That's what so many people are trying to do. They're trying to have one without the other. You can't have Christ and not have the father. 
You can't have Christ and the Father and not have the Holy Spirit. They're all inclusive. They're three in one. If you have the Father, you have the Son. If you have the Father and the Son, you have the Holy Spirit. It's all there. They dwell and dwell us. Here's a fact you need to understand. If you're saved today and have professed Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he has changed you from the inside out, guess what? God is in you. And you know what that means? Where we, what we say, what we look at, where we go, the things of, wherever we're doing all these things, we're taking God with us. You could throw a hissy fit. Because you would never, ever think of cussing in the church. You would never, ever think of smoking in the church. You would never, ever think of doing a lot of things in this place. But guess what? You don't have to be in this place. When you do it with yourself, God is right there with you, indwelling you. So before you get ready to do something, before those words come out of our mouth, before we go places we shouldn't, guess what? God is there. You wouldn't say to God, I would never say, Jesus, you know what? I'm down in Texas, or I'm out in California, and I need to go out. Guess what, Jesus? Let's go to the strip club. Okay? Would you say that? Uh, not, not openly. But if by chance I find myself at a strip club, and I'm not there to witness, by the way. <laughs> I better clean that up because somebody's oh, Pastor, you could go there and be a witness. Nah, ain't about witness. My witnesses is, is, is letting it rain dollar bills or whatever. Never been to one, but I hear that's what you do. But I'm taking Jesus with me. I didn't have to ask him. He indwells me. I say I'm a believer. I say I'm a follower of his. And where I go, I take Jesus. What I say, he's standing right beside me. He hears the words that I say. Sister Sarah Graham said, let the meditation of my heart, what was it? Let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's why Paul in Philippians, he said, think on these things. You got to think on this. You got to discipline. The Christian life is about discipline. Amen? Jesus said, they said, okay. Jesus says, okay, like me and the Father. If you knew me, you know him. If you know him, you know me. Then he says, these words he spoke. In the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because the hour, his hour had not yet come. He's on the outer court, in the court of the women, which is on the outer side of the temple complex. This is the furthest point that the women were allowed to come into the temple. Jesus is off to the side. The Pharisees are at another little side, and they're teaching. But they're within earshot range of Jesus, talking about, I am the light. They've heard what he says, and they come across and say, and challenge him on what we just talked about. And in that outside court were these gigantic horn-shaped objects to which as they were, and they were marked like, this is, this is for the temple, this is for this, and this is for that. There's like 13 of these gigantic horn-shaped things, and people would take their offering, and they would throw it into, the, into these horn-shaped objects. And you could hear how much people were giving, because if you just have a nickel, and you just throw a nickel, it makes a different sound than, you ever been to the, been ever been to the Kroger's and the people at that uh, machine with just the chain? You know somebody's got a lot of chain, you're like, you know, or for those of you who've been to the casino, you know what it sounds like when you hit it? All that? 
you could tell by these horn-shaped objects who was giving. In fact, in Mark, when Jesus talks about the woman who gave her last mite, she was at the court of the women, and her, her mite was when she threw all that she had, which is not much, he was able to distinctly know she had given it all. Because it, one little penny versus a whole lot of change is a big difference. So there he is. He's teaching. He's teaching with one that has authority. And they hear this, and they know that what he's saying, they're challenging it, and they are about ready. And we already talked about this. They want to grab. They're so incensed. They're so upset that he is equating himself equal to God that they want to grab a hold of him. But guess what? They can't do it. Why? The Bible tells you his hour, his time. Had not yet come. It wasn't time. The Father said, it's not time. They can't get you yet. There's a, there's, the hour will come when they will get him, but not this hour. Amen? Three things I want to cover about application. Do not trust in your own judgment over spiritual matters. Don't trust in your own judgment when it comes to spiritual matters. matters. Why? Because, number one, we have a limited knowledge. Number two, we're not impartial. We're very partial to ourselves. The Lord understands me, Pastor. I'm glad he does. We're limited in our knowledge. We're not impartial. And Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, we're not to trust in our own way of looking at things. Trust not in thy own what? Our own thoughts, our own ways. But lean and depend on what he has said. Amen? In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Do not trust in your own judgment. Our judgment is messed up when it comes to our spiritual welfare. Limited knowledge, and we're not partial, but we need to trust not in our own way of looking at things, but to him. Not my will, but thy will, your will, Lord, be done. Number two. Trust in the word of the Lord, Jesus Christ, implicitly. In other words, just trust the word. Take the Bible as it is. God said it. We need to just believe it. Amen? I was telling somebody, I was telling a pastor the other day, I said, when the Bible talks about the ass talk, I believe it talk. And when it says the axe swam, I believe the axe swam. If I take an axe outside to Lake Cowan, I drop it in the water, it's going to sink. But in the word of God, in that context, when it said the axe actually swam, I believe it. Why? God said it in his word. He's not using it as a metaphor. When he talked about Elisha and Elijah, and they looked around and they said, how are we going to win the victory over all this that's going on? They got more people than we ever have. And Elijah plays to God, open his servant's eye, and when the servant's eyes were open, he saw all around him the heavenly host and the angels encamped around. Then he understood how they were going to get the victory. Maybe that's what God needs to do us, have our eyes open. Trust in the word. Trust not in our, in our own understanding, but trust him because of who he is. The same God that spoke, let there be, and there was, is the same God that works in our life. Much of our Christian faith we do not understand. I, I get that. What gets us in trouble is we want to we help God out. No. Stick to the Bible. Stick to the Word. Less about what people think and how they feel about something. More about what does the Word say. 
Much of our Christian faith, we don't understand. And much of our Christian faith, we, will, we may not even like or want. It may even want to eliminate it. But that's not our option. When God says something, he means it. There's a reason why God set up marriage a certain way. There's a reason why God set up churches. There's a reason why God does everything. He has spoken, and that is the way it should be. What was it that uh, Moses, when uh, Pharaoh was there, he would say, uh, you have spoken, Pharaoh, you have spoken, so let it be. When God speaks, so let it be. Don't have to understand it. Just do it. Just obey it. Whatever Jesus says, must believe without question. Say, I would never question God. Oh, really? Just think, just think what you just said. Go re- reverse your mind and go back and say, I've never questioned God about anything. Uh-huh. I'll let the Holy Spirit convict us on that one. Things don't happen the way we want it. Things aren't going the way we think. Well, I don't understand why God, whoa, 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 whoa. What did God say to, uh, where were you when I spoke the world into existence? I don't need your permission. I'm God. Job could have said, God, why me? Well, God would have said, why not? That's what he tells us. Who do, who do we think we are that we don't have to have hard times? Huh? Does anybody like hard times? No. Does anybody want hard times? Raise your hand. Come on. No. None of us. But God knows what we need. God knows that in our hard times, maybe that's the thing, because we've been drifting. Maybe the hard times will draw us back to him. Whatever Jesus says, must believe without question. Our own reasoning on spiritual matters, no. We need to just be subordinate. We just need to have God just... Say, God, whatever your will is for my life, let me follow it. Amen? That's, that's the thing to do. Say, Lord, I want to be obeyed. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and takes every thought captive to obey Christ. Christ wants control of our hearts. Christ wants control of our minds. Amen? That's what it's all about. Not trusting in our own way. Trusting in his way. And if you do those two things, here's the result. If the word of Jesus Christ is true, and it is, then we should accept him as our Lord and Savior. And follow him. Follow him as our Lord. Yep. Brother David said it. Somebody else said it, I think. I think it was Brother David. The cost is high. Why? Because Jesus, the Father, gave the best that he had. And if he gave the best that he had, he expects to give the best that we have in our life and in our service to him. And let's just be honest with ourselves. If if we're weighed in the balances, many of us would come up wanting in our service to him. Oh, is not God good? Oh, is he not good? Why? Why, Pastor? Why are you you saying that? Because he woke you up and he woke me up this morning. There is nothing I did this past week that merited me waking up. But grace of God, 
There's nothing that, that allows me to be able to use my eyesight to see the blue on the outside of the, uh, of the sky outside but God's grace. It's nothing but the grace of God that allows me to speak. It's nothing but the grace of God that allows me to look at you. God's grace, God's love for us is so great. And we as his people, we as his children, all he asks of us is obedience to him. And we struggle to even do that. That's why I can say I'm excited because I know how messed up I am. And in spite of my messed up, this that's a word. It's not. But it describes it. God is good. And I get it. We all have problems. We all have struggles. We're all going through some things. But God is able to see us through. There is nothing in your life or my life that's so overwhelming, so overpowering that God cannot see us through. Let me ask you this and I close. In your past life, if you look at your life in the past, has not God brought you through some stuff? If, you, if he's brought you through some stuff, just say amen. Now, if he brought you through some stuff in days past and gone, and you can look back and say, yep, God delivered me from that. Yep, God walked me through that. Yep. God. If you can say that, what makes you and I think he won't do it now? The same God then is the same God now. Where's our faith? Amen. Father, thank you for your word.